much less sing and do motions to it at the same time, sign language. I, I, I couldn't do that. Kindergarten through third grade are dismissed for junior church. If you're still here, I encourage you to take your Bible. Hopefully you brought one with you. If you didn't, one's under a pew chair near you. Turn to Psalm 106. 106. This morning we have the privilege of uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper. One of the things that it tells us in the Word of God is to make sure that we're eating and drinking in a manner that's worthy of the sacrifice that Christ has made on our behalf. Today the sermon deals with us. Now you say, hold it a second, it's in the Old Testament, it's dealing with Israel. That's the background, that's the foundation. But if we're just having a history lesson, then I have missed what I believe God wants us to hear today. Yes, it is history, we are going to look at the nation of Israel, but God worked in them and through them as instruction for us. We are to look back and be instructed by what God did in their lives and how they operated. And so today, while we will look at history, we are going to look at the nation of Israel as they came out of Egypt, as they wandered in the wilderness, and then as they went into the promised land, we're going to see that in spite of the great things, the miracles, the wonders, the marvels, the blessings that God brought in their lives, they still bit the hand that fed them. In spite of everything that God did for them, all the great things of bringing them out of slavery and guiding them and providing for them over and over, oh, and over again, they fell back and did things their way. Now, we are going to discuss a couple of these uh, items, these situations, and I'm going to say, and this is the sin. You go, hold it. I don't know if I like that. You could have said that's idolatry or unbelief or something different. The answer is you're probably right. Sin loves company. And every time you, let's just say you're rebellious. Well, if you're rebellious, that's sin, but you're also living in unbelief. And it may be idolatry at the same time. It may be immorality. It may be all kinds of things all mixed together. But I've looked at the text, and I believe I've drawn out of the text the ones that the Bible emphasizes. Any one of them would work, because sin indeed, one sin breeds other sin, and many times uh, multiple sins are all at the same time. So we're going to look at that today. We saw last time I preached God's wonderful blessings, His delivery. Today we're going to see how His people repay Him for His kindness, His love, His work on their behalf. But i got to tell you that if you get discouraged by the, by the end, you go, hold it, is this the way we really are? The answer is probably. Even if it's not outwardly, inwardly, we do rebel and we do our own thing. But in the end, I want to make it clear. It starts this way and ends this way that the provisions of the Lord Jesus Christ, what is represented in the Lord's Supper today, is powerful enough not only to save us in the first place, but to forgive us for all those rebellious, unfaithful acts that we do along the way. Now, we lose blessing, and there are consequences to them. But the power of Jesus Christ is for all sin. Not part sin, <coughs> and not for mine, and then, uh, well, my neighbor, boy... Uh, I know God forgives me, but boy, I'll tell you what, he is just out of there. I don't know if God will forgive him, or my spouse, or my kids, or you name it. No, 
the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection is for the sins of the whole world. There's not one single solitary sin that has not been provided for. If that's the case, Jesus Christ could not have risen from the grave. That's an absolute. Because there would still be sin on the record. He rose completely, totally, and absolutely triumphant over sin. Keep that as a background. Think about this. If you have a testimony, which means you've trusted Christ as your Savior, think back. What is the one, maybe two, maybe three, of the foolish, stupid, and rebellious things that you have done, and you really regret them? Can you remember one? You go, hold it, I can't remember one. I don't even have enough fingers to get started. You know, it doesn't matter. The nation of Israel was exactly the same way. But I want you to think. Yeah, you may regret it, and maybe you paid a high price for it, and you had consequences, and maybe even judgment or punishment. But Christ can and will forgive that. Keep that in mind. I want you to grasp that. Because when we eat and drink in a worthy manner, which is what we're going to emphasize in a little while, we are saying, I am living my life in light of the great work that Christ has done. doesn't mean I'm perfect. He has perfected me, but it doesn't mean I'm living it out. But when I find out that I have been wrong, when I have sinned, when I have been rebellious and gone astray, I can come back and he will renew my life. That's what I want you to catch this morning. So I only have a short time. We have communion. So I'm going to sound like a motor mouth this morning because I'm taking the machine gun approach to the Old Testament. Oh, by the way, that's not politically correct anymore. You can't say that. But I just did. So anyway. I am not talking about shooting people, but it's rapid fire. So let's look at it. First of all, it starts off in, in Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. We are to be a thankful people because of what I've just mentioned and what we're going to talk about in the rest of the sermon. And we are to remember that his loving kindness, his covenant faithfulness does not come to an end. He said he'll do it. It doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on me. It be, depends on him and his name. In fact, is he said, we are blessed when we keep justice and when we practice righteousness, but he is the one that is the one that is faithful. Unfortunately, we are not. And as a result of that, he is glorified. In fact, is we're going to see that Pharaoh was going to honor God, not because he was a good guy, but because when he chose to rebel against God's command to the nation of Israel and not want to let them go, God was still going to be glorified in spite of Pharaoh, because God was going to show himself strong and powerful and mighty and loving and faithful. Now, I'm not going to have time this morning to read all the verses of this chapter. So you're going to have to follow along. I'll give you a clue as to where we are because we're going to be looking at the historical chapters in the Bible to fill in the gaps. Remember, this is a psalm, and there's just a little paragraph about, hey, this is what the people did. But there's chapter after chapter of background to that in the rest of the Bible. But I want to turn your attention before we go any further to verse 6. We have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. 
The psalmist is looking back and says, children of Israel before me did all these things. And I can tell you that we could write this today. The first word, we've sinned like our fathers. We look back, we have missed the mark, which is exactly what the word means. We have committed iniquity. Iniquity has to do with guilt, anticipating punishment. See, if you feel guilty, you know you deserve consequences for what you've done. That's what a guilty conscience does. It says, you're guilty, you deserve to be punished. And wickedness has to do with condemnation. We know we deserve nothing. We don't deserve anything good. We deserve to be spoken against by God. That's where it comes from. <laughs> so let's look at each of these <coughs> as we look through this. We should praise God. We already talked about that. And the first thing that we need to confess. So this is for you. You need to deal with all of these as we go through the sermon. Because if you don't, you will not be partaking in a worthy manner of what Christ has done for you. The first thing is, we need to confess our fear. This is the sin that was represented by the children of Israel coming to the Red Sea. You say, hold it a second, I thought that was unbelief and all those other things. Well, it's true. But it's very clear that they said, we are afraid. Well, what had happened? Well, first of all, God had just taken them out, and he had taken them not the easy way. The easy way from, they came from Ramses. This is where they were in the land of Goshen, and they were going to Canaan, the promised land. They could have went right across here. They're called the Way of the Philistines. I don't know if you can read that or not. It doesn't matter. But there was a road there. But God knew who they were. He knew they were weak. He knew what they were like. And he said, if I take them across there, they'll meet the Philistines and they will turn back because they'll be afraid. So God took them a different way. They went this way. They started going a little bit. They turned back. And God said, Egypt is going to think that they're wandering in the desert, they've lost their way, and he's going to come chasing them. And that's where Pharaoh is going to be honored, simply because Pharaoh wouldn't do what God told them directly to do, and that's let the people go. And so they come following after them, and by the time they get down here, right here, the children of Israel are camped right in front of the Red Sea. As they are camped there, they look behind them, they see a cloud of dust. 600 of the best chariots of the Pharaoh of Egypt are chasing them. What's their first reaction? We're afraid! Moses, weren't there any graves in Egypt? Why didn't we just stay back under the heel of the Egyptians, serve them? It would have been better to die in Egypt than to die out here in this miserable desert. Now, I'm paraphrasing this because I'm going to run out of time. But that's what they did. They are scared to death. They are not trusting. Is that fair? I mean, hey, the best warriors in the world are coming after them. But they had just seen God lead them out of the midst of those people in broad daylight. They plundered them. Remember, when they left, they went to all the families around them and said, hey, give us your gold. And the ladies and the men gave them their rings and their earrings and their nose rings and all those rings, and they were all gold. They went out rich people. In broad daylight. And God had just executed judgment in all ten gods of the Egyptians. And had showed that he is more powerful than all of them. Including Pharaoh's own son, the firstborn. Who was considered the God. God had just proven they don't have to be afraid. Nothing too hard for him. 
Now they're between the Pharaoh and the sea, a rock and a hard place. They're afraid. Moses is down in his face. He's like, God, how can you do this? Uh, the people are, why didn't we stay back in? Let's go back to Egypt. Why didn't we stay there? Moses, you're a bad guy. You let us out here. And God says, stand back and see what I'm going to do. And remember, there was a cloud that they followed. By daytime, it was a cloud, and they could travel in the shade. At nighttime, it was a fire, and they could literally travel at nighttime. Nobody could do that. There were no headlights on your ox cart, you know, or anything like that. No miner's lamp on your head. You couldn't travel at nighttime. But they could. They're the only people in the world in those days that could travel at nighttime because they had a pillar of fire. And yes, they did travel at night. It would have been kind of cool in the desert because it's hot and dry, and they could have traveled at nighttime. It would have been much more convenient and comfortable. The pillar of fire, which is, we know, Jesus Christ himself, went around behind them and stood right between the chariots and the children of Israel. Now, you know what happens next. God tells Moses, get down there, put your rod across the water. The water goes apart. They go across on dry land. Of course, Egypt followed after, and they landed up being uh, drowned in the sea. But the whole thing was, Moses said, do not fear. The opposite of fear is what? This is for a preview for next six weeks. The opposite of fear is faith. Direct opposite. There are a lot of other opposites of fear, but faith is the one that goes. Don't fear. God has bailed you out before. God has been strong before. God has protected you before. You don't have to live in fear. If you are living in fear, that's sin. Because God wants you to live by trusting in Him. You're not appropriating, you're not using what God has given you. We need to confess sin to God, the sin of greed, the sin of wrong desire. Now they had been in Egypt. Remember, they keep wanting to go back to the old life. Weren't there Graves in Egypt that we could die there? Well, God didn't let them die in the wilderness. They went across the Red Sea and kept going. The Egyptians died. But then they go, and it says in verse 13, they quickly forgot his works. Oh, wow. Isn't that a news flash for us? God has done great things in our lives. A week later, something a little bit bad happens, and all of a sudden, gloom, despair, misery on me. Well, that's the children of Israel. Nothing new, folks. So they are. Here they are. They're out in the middle of the desert. And it says in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, the rabble who were among them had greedy desires. The rabble were those that saw what God was doing among the Israelites, and they were hanger-oners. And so when Israel left, they went with. Well, they got out there and they said, hold it a second. When we were back in Egypt, we had melons and garlic and leeks and cucumbers and we had all the fish we could eat and we ate freely and we're surviving on this manna. Now, God was providing every single thing they needed, but they were not satisfied. The, the way this comes across, it says they craved intensely. It's like they were addicted to the good life in Egypt. But just remember, the good life in Egypt had a slave master or a whip. Somebody controlled your life. And they're like, if we just went back to Egypt, at least we'd have all this good food and spices and all the things to put to it. 
So, you heard the saying, be careful what you ask for, you might get it. This one's coming up. Because they craved what they didn't have. Remember, it's the, they weren't craving something they didn't have. They had everything they needed to survive and thrive. God had provided it all. But they weren't satisfied. That's greedy. I want more than God has given me. And so, we want meat. God says, okay, I'll give you meat. And uh, you know the rest of the story. God sent quail. He blew them in with a big wind, and they were waist deep, and they gathered them all up, and it says, while they were still eating. He said, I'm not going to give it to you for a day or a week. I'm going to give it to you for a whole month. And while they were still eating, it just became putrid in their teeth. And God sent a plague among them. Now, I'm going to use my sanctified imagination for a moment. I think they got food poisoning. I have no idea what happened. All I know is this. Whatever it was, was enough to kill 14,700 of them. So whatever it was, if it was food poisoning, it was a bad case. I have no idea. It doesn't say what it was. But they were greedy. What had they done? They had forgot that God's provision is always sufficient. And they wanted more. Are you satisfied with what God has given you? Or do you have wrong desire in your life? I don't believe that God is meeting my need. I want more. So they go on. You think, okay, maybe they will have learned their lesson by now. But then there was envy. You almost think that uh, greed and envy are the same. But the word that's envy here has to do with a, a wanting more than God gave them in the sense of power or position. It's a rivalry. Moses had been the man. Now remember, Moses didn't get it all right the first time. He was in the back wilderness for 40 years till God got his attitude right. Then he comes in and does some more wrong things. But finally he got it right, and he was willing to stand toe-to-toe and nose-to-nose with Pharaoh and said, let my people go. God said, do it. And he didn't back down. And God used him mightily. Now, this wasn't something Moses went looking for. In fact, is Moses made every excuse possible not to do it. He said, I can't speak. And he said, I'll get Aaron to do it. And God was pretty mad at Moses by the time this all happened. But finally, Moses was willing to do what God asked him to do. Moses not some special guy. He was a guy that God specially used. By the way, that's you too. See, wherever God puts you is exactly where he wants to use you. You don't want to be me. I have to tell you, I, hate to t- I like all of you. The ones I know, some of you I don't know very well. But I like you. I don't want to be you. I don't want to do what you do, and I don't want to be in your shoes, and I don't want to be married to your spouse and have your kids. I don't want to do any of those things. I don't want to live in your house. I don't want to do any of that. But you wouldn't want, if you knew me, you wouldn't want any of mine either. You know what? Because God gives us a position, and he expects us to bloom where we're planted. Guess what? The sons of uh, some of the Levites, they weren't priests. They weren't in Aaron's clan. And so they were allowed to serve at the tabernacle, but they weren't allowed to be priests. And they said, hold it a second. Who made you, Mr. Moses? You think you're the only holy one here? By the way, that was God's view. They said, we're all holy. Everyone in our congregation is holy. 
And so, you don't deserve. Who do you think you are? They said the same thing to Aaron. He was the high priest. Moses was the civil leader more. He was also a religious leader, but Aaron was the high priest. Who do you guys think you are? We have every right to do everything you do because we're holy. We're God's people just like you. No, partly true, except that God hadn't given them the leadership position. And so they rebelled against Moses. Here in the envy was rivalry. They wanted a position that God didn't give them. They were not satisfied with their lot in life. Very much like greed, but in this case, it's the relationship with other people. And so they rebelled, and uh, Moses had a test with the fire pans and all that, and he said, I'll tell you what, if that all fails, if you die the natural death that everybody else dies, God isn't speaking through me. He said, but if the earth opens up and swallows you alive, you'll know that what I told you was true. And that's exactly what happened. 250 of them with Korah just were swallowed up by the earth. I, I don't know. I, I, I try to picture in my mind just a big old split down the, down the earth, probably California or someplace like that, and just everybody fell in it. I don't know how it was. But by the time it was done, a whole lot more people had died also simply because they were now mad at Moses. It's your fault that those people died. I don't know what. Did they want Moses to give up his leadership position and not do what God asked him to do? I don't know what. Make everybody a leader so that you have chaos? I don't know what they were looking for. But all I know is God was absolutely not happy with them. And they also died. But we go on. Because we need to confess the sin of impatience. And you go, hold it, this is the golden calf. That's idolatry. True, it would be idolatry, it'd be unbelief, it'd be lots of things. Except that what they says in Exodus chapter 32 is very clear. It says, then the people saw that Moses delayed. They didn't like God's timing. Remember, Moses is up in the mountain getting instruction from God, and they're not willing to wait for it. And so they come to Aaron and say, hey, Aaron, make us a God that goes before us. And so, remember all those rings that I was talking about a little while ago that they took from the Egyptians? Well, they still have them. So what do they do now? They pull them back out of their ears and their noses and off of their fingers, and they give them to Aaron. And Aaron throws it in a fire, according to him. Throws it in a fire, and out comes this calf. Now, what a, what a bunch of baloney. But nonetheless, that's what he said. So they fashion into this calf, and it says, this is your God that brought you out from Egypt. Hold it a second. God had just proven he is more powerful than all the gods in Egypt, and now they want to go back. But here's what happens. And they said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. All capital letters, Jehovah, Yahweh, the living, true, and self-existing God. They were equating this golden calf with Jehovah, the self-existing God of Israel. And it says, the next day, they ate, and they drank, and they rose up to play. Now, that sounds really kind of innocent. They had a church picnic. They didn't have church, but, you know, like a church picnic. Not so. The word play is the same word that is used for sport when Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of raping her. Whoa, it was a carousing. It was an orgy. It was out of control. That's really what it comes down to. They're like, hey, you know what? We're going to do whatever we want. Just remember, 
the God that you serve will determine the actions you take. If it's a God of order and holiness, you will live an orderly, holy life. If it is a God that is man-made of man's imagination, you're going to live like that. And that's exactly what happened. Immediately, as soon as they started worshiping the golden calf, their lives went completely out of control. Why? Where did it start? Oh, it's idolatry, of course. But it's because they were impatient. God didn't do it the way they wanted at their timetable. That's what they did. Are you rushing ahead of God or lagging behind God? Truth is, he says, we need to make sure that we allow God to do the leading and not ourselves. We also need to confess unbelief, the sin of not entering into the land. They were traveling. They get to the promised land finally. They're right on the border. Moses says, send in some some spies, 12 of them went. 10 of them came back with a bad report. They said, hey, it's a good land, but oh, the people were in there make us look like grasshoppers. Man, oh man, we were scared and we shouldn't go up. Caleb and Joshua came back and said, hey, they're right. There are big people in there. But you know what? If we're obedient to God, we do what he says, no problem. And so they gave a good report. The people said, we will not go. We're not going to do that. We're not going to sacrifice our young ones and get all killed. You know, we're, we don't want to do that. And so they said, no, we won't go. So God said, okay, Moses, you tell them this, that because you have refused, you've been disobedient. You haven't trusted me. You haven't lived by faith. You're going to wander in the wilderness. So all of you who are 20 years old and over die. They didn't like that either. And so the next day they said, okay, we changed our mind. We want to do what God said. <laughs> Moses said, nope, too late. You, you made the decision. God made his decision. You have consequences. You're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Don't go up. You'll get defeated. What did they do? Unbelief again. They wouldn't take God at his word. They turned around and tried to go north into the promised land. As they did, they got driven back and defeated handily. What they did is, right here is Kadesh, they just said, okay, we're just going to go up. When they got up in there, the people, the pagans of the land, chased them right back down. And I mean, they really whooped on them badly. Why? Because of unbelief. They wouldn't take God at his word. That's what believing is. That's what faith is. I take God at his word, leave the results to him. I don't worry about the results when it comes to faith. I simply do what God asked me to do. That's an act of trust. I either trust myself or I trust him. Did you notice that all of these things come back to they did it their way? That's what it always comes back to. It's the essence of sin. It's self-centeredness and selfishness. Then there was idolatry. And you say, hold it. I thought you just did not entering into the promised land. I did. But this is 40 years later. Now they are on the banks of the Jordan River. They are on the other side of the Jordan. They are over here, right up here, ready to go across into the promised land. And they're camped on the plains of Moab. And as they're there, they are seduced to begin worshiping Baal. Baal was the primary god of the people of the land of Canaan at that time. And what did they do? Not only did they worship, they, they ate the sacrifices that were offered to the dead. They just 
did whatever they wanted. In fact is, they began to intermarry with their daughters, and uh, they just adapted right in. They became part of the worship, the idolatry. It was a man-made system. And they invited the people to come, they bowed down to their gods, and they intermarried with them. The only way that even came to an end is that one of the priests saw one of the Israelite men bringing one of the pagan Canaanites into his tent. He went in, and from what it looks like to me, and I could be wrong on this, he went in, found them both together, took one single spear, and kind of shish-kebobbed both of them at one time. Now, maybe he killed them separately, I don't know, but it says he just thrust them both through, and the plague was broken. And God once again said, hold it a second, you've now done this to me again. But look how gracious I am. Just remember, I don't care what you've done. That's not the point. The point is, what do you do after you've done that? You may have suffered lots of consequences. But God is still willing to forgive you. It's in his blood that was shed for your sin, past, present, and future. It's there. It's been paid for. Don't stay in it. God always provides a way out. One more, doing the right thing the wrong way, not treating God as holy. This is Moses himself. He is frustrated out of his mind with these people. I'll tell you what, I can't imagine, you've, you've heard me jokingly say Moses and Aaron always had dirty faces because all the time the people were rebelling, they were falling on their face before God, begging God not to wipe them out. Well, one more time, now Moses is frustrated. And Moses, they're saying, we don't have any water again. So God said to Moses, Moses, speak to the rock. Now, in the past, he had told Moses to take his rod and strike the rock, and water came out. A river. We saw that last time. But this time he said, no, I want to show the people that I'm holy, and I want you to represent me as holy in their midst. I want you to speak to the rock, and the water will come out. Moses, in his frustration, takes his rod and strikes the rod. Guess what? They all got water. That's what they needed. They needed water. So he did. He, he, I mean, he landed up having what exactly they needed, water, but he didn't do it God's way. God sometimes makes it very clear in his scripture, very clear by the Holy Spirit. This is how I want you to do something. And when we try to get around it, we're living in sin because we're not being obedient to him. We're doing the right thing, but the wrong way. Illustration, striking the rock. Maybe you already know you're butting heads with God because he's told you to do something, but you choose to do it the different way. But one last thing. They're now across the Jordan River. God, one more time, 40 years later, 40 years earlier, he parted the Red Sea. 40 years later, he now parts the Jordan River. They cross into the promised land. And he said, when you go in, I want you to wipe out every man, woman, and child because I don't want you to mingle with them, I don't want you to learn their practices, and I don't want you to serve their idols. That's what he said, verse 34 and 30 to 36. What did they do? <laughs> they went in and didn't wipe them out. You know what happened? Within a very short time, they had adopted the practices of the land. It is a pathetic thing, and statistics prove it, 
that the church, when it comes to sin and vice and all kinds of things, we are almost a mirror image of the culture we live in. That's pathetic. God has not called us to be absorbing the culture. He called us to be salt and light, to be messengers to the culture that needs the truth and the light. And they need flavor in their life. They need salt. That's what he called us to be. But they didn't. Are you simply saying, well, I'm not doing anything bad, but you're living just like the rest of the world? Oh, you're not in some horrible, horrible sin, but you're living like the rest of the world. God said, that's not why I saved you. That's not why I called you to be a people unto myself. But look at verse 44. And I'm going to close with 44 through the end of the chapter. Nevertheless, this is talking about God, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. He remembered his covenant for their sake and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He made them objects of compassion in the presence of their captors. By this time... The nations in Canaan were conquering them. The time of the judges. Every time they failed, God sent a a, a nation to to, um, take them captive. And then he'd have to send a judge to bail them out one more time. And that's what they were doing. But notice what it says. Over and over and over and over, they continually bit the hand that fed them. You know what? We could pick on Israel, and we could do that. We have the story. It's there. God gave it to us. But that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to look in a mirror. Do we do the same thing? God has saved us from our sin. God has provided everything. God has given us a purpose for living. He's given ministry. He's given us children. He's given us spouses. He's given us everything we need. And yet, at the same time, we turn around and rebel, do things our own way. Get into idolatry. Want what isn't ours. Want more than is ours. We do it over and over again. As the men gather, I'm just going to bring this to an end. Because he says that when you eat and drink of the Lord's Supper, we can eat and drink judgment to ourselves if we don't rightly judge or discern our bodies. He wants us to examine our lives to make sure that we are living according to the wonderfulness of what He has provided for us. We are to be living in the light of. We are to be living worthy of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so if we say He's forgiven our sins and He's provided, and we're living other than that, we're not living worthy of what Jesus Christ has provided for us. And so as the men come forward, I just encourage you to close your eyes, bow your head. If there's something you need to confess and get right, please do it now. I know there may be somebody you need to go to when you leave here. But I encourage you, if there's something you need to confess before you partake of the Lord's Supper, please do so. Don't eat and drink in an unworthy manner because he says, I will bring judgment. I don't doubt him for a bit. I know his track record. In fact is, if you're not willing to do that, nobody is going to ask you questions But if you're not willing to make sure and you don't know that you're living right with God and living right with others, please don't partake. Not going to hurt me or the, the men here any, but it could you. God is absolutely serious about these kinds of things. He is a God, a great God. He's provided everything, but He expects us to live in the light of what He's provided. 
This is the Lord's Supper. If you have trusted Jesus Christ and you're living in harmony with Him and others, welcome, participate. If you haven't trusted Christ, it's just grape juice and some matzah. If you're not living in fellowship with God, it's judgment. That's not my thoughts, that's God's thoughts. I'm going to ask Brother Scott if he would thank the Lord for his body that he has given for us. Thank you for your willingness to, to do that.